1: Hi, everyone.
0: Welcome to Literacy Podcast. Melissa and Lori love literacy. Today we have a very special guest. We have a parent, and who, the parent is not a teacher. Has not, it's not steeped in uh, any kind of background, educational background in literacy, or, but has self-taught everything that she knows in order to help her dyslexic child. So we are really excited for today because you are going to walk away with some really clear ways that you as a parent can advocate and can help your child and all the children who are living in your area, in your state. So we're we're thrilled to have our guest on today.
1: Yeah. And I'm I think it's so great, Lori. We we I always say that I love having teachers on, which I do because they're like, you know, in the classroom, on the ground doing the work. And then I always say I like having our experts on because they we get to learn so much from them. But I I realized this morning when I was thinking about it, I was like, I love the parents that we have on because they are so, so passionate, right? Because it's their child and they're seeing their child have these struggles and and have, they want to do something, right? Because it's their child. So the passion that comes through with our parents. So I'm so excited to have Brett on today because um, I know she is super passionate about um, her work around dyslexia. Thank you so much
2: for having me. Um, I did want to touch on that. Um, so I've been doing this work for about a decade. I'm the mother of a student with dyslexia and I do not have an educational background. My background is in engineering and business. And initially it may have been a disadvantage because I didn't know what, what should be going on. But once I got the feeling that My daughter was not being identified or given proper reading instruction. I kind of started looking at dyslexia, different things. Once I figured that out, my engineering background really came into play and was an advantage. Because what I could do is uh, I'm an industrial and operations engineer. And so what I was able to do was to look at this broken system and to begin kind of a solutions-oriented mindset to improve the system for the customers who are our children. And that has guided my work for the last decade, and I actually think it is an advantage because I'm not clouded by or I'm not a part of kind of the group think that is not serving many of our children.
1: I love that so much, Brett. And I think so often in education, we hear, you know, very quickly, people want to put the blame somewhere, right? And it often ends up in one place, right? It's either the student's fault, or it's the parent's fault, or the teacher's, or it's the curriculum, or it's the school, right? It's a, it's someone's fault. But I I just love what you just brought up, which is like, I got. To, I could see the whole picture, right, and I could see the whole system, <laughs> and and where where is that system breaking down? So we can really think about every everywhere, right? Because it's not just one of those places Correct. to put blame on. Correct. Yeah, and that
0: does also, I assume, in your process, make it much more collaborative versus you know pointing a finger like school district. You need to change something. It's like let's work together to to bring some change here. And I think you're going to share a bit about. That today with us, right? Yeah,
2: I am prepared to talk about all kinds of things, because <laughs> I think what's what's especially important about the work I do with my 501c3, it's called Artists like Children. It's the same title as the documentary we put together. Um, we did that uh, to try to kind of create a roadmap for other parents to be able to have similar success in their district. What what's important to understand and I think what's different about what we bring to the conversation is not that we're just passionate. But I am passionate, okay? Because we have children dying, we have children ODing, we have children committing suicide, we have children in jail because we are not teaching children how to read in this country. So I definitely have passion. But what I also have, or what we also have, are solutions to help parents bring evidence-based reading instruction to their districts so that not just their own children and their dis- or their dyslexic children, but really so all kids in that district can reach their full potential. And I think that's what's different. So the documentary laid out kind of that roadmap of how we affected this change in our school district here in Upper Arlington, Ohio. And then after each successful um, kind of project or iteration, we look back to see how, what have we learned and how can we help more people? So we helped our dyslexic children. We helped all children by bringing the science of reading to every student in the district. But then we looked at how can we help more kids? So what we decided was to take this model of parents joining together in a grassroots coalition, a dyslexia parent group, but that's not there to just support and to kind of whine and whine, like drink wine and complain and stuff, but really to focus on how we can change and using very professional business-like strategies. So, we created an uh, executive board, president, vice president, treasurer, secretary. We have a mission statement that very clearly lays out exactly what we lo- we're looking for, so that every time we spoke to the district... Or to the school board or anyone, we they all knew exactly what we were looking for. Then we ran that whole process like a business, and so we were able to affect change. So we were very excited, and so then we looked, how can we help more? So we formed a grassroots coalition of parent dyslexia parent groups in the state of Ohio, and we keep growing. Right now, we're at. I think we're almost 25 parent groups representing students in dis or districts with students like over 185,000 students up to 20% of those could be dyslexic. So you you're thinking like 30 to 35 dyslexic students and then all the students. So it's a, it's a big group and we are helping with statewide legislation right now. Um, Ohio. Yeah. We passed a, Um, dyslexia, some dyslexia legislation. And now we are working to help there's a dyslexia guidebook that's a part of that that has to be approved by the state school board. And so we're supporting that effort. So we find when parents come together individually at a district level and at a statewide level, there's a huge impact we can have. Um, So the documentary then was an attempt to encapsulate that, those lessons learned so that people outside of our sphere, outside of our state, outside of our country, we've gotten people from all over the world, Australia, Canada, everywhere, where this is an issue. Um, And the purpose was to have parents realize that, number one, their dyslexic children could read, the science is available, and to, number two, understand that federal law, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, Uh, has a lot of teeth in it, and you can leverage that to your advantage. Um, But also to help districts see the very real personal trauma that children and families endure, not through any fault of their own because they have never learned the science, but why they should be intellectually curious and open to move to the science. And so that was, that was the documentary's purpose. And, um, and then finally, we're working on an online course right now, so that more and more parent groups can come and come together more quickly. And our group won't be a bottleneck. And all of our resources are free. Everything is open to everyone. And uh, we're excited.
0: That's amazing. I it's very exciting. I, I'm excited. <laughs> I especially I especially like how you and your team codified and captured the steps to what parents can do. I feel like as a parent myself, you know, I and i know all about the science of reading it still feels overwhelming to think about oh okay so i work full time and i'm a parent full time and wh- what do i need to do to get into the school board and what would then what do i say once i get there and it feels like a lot of preparation that honestly sometimes feels overwhelming yeah, yeah it's a lot so i love i love how you put this into i'm i'm looking at it now and um, just to kind of share with listeners um it, I, I we're going to link it in the show notes. But, you know, there, it's, the, it's a steps to a strategic roadmap. And the steps are steps such as it's a seven-step process from what I can tell. The steps are what is dyslexia, which I think is helpful as a parent to know about even if your child is not dyslexic because it's an entry point. Like your child may be presenting as dyslexic. Is your child suffering from dyslexia? You can, as a parent, start to learn more, start to determine some of that. Is your district following the law? I mean, that's super powerful. The parent group, engage your district, make your move, and rebuilding relationships. I'd love for you to talk about the ones in there, Brett, if you don't mind, like steps. Um, Like, I feel like it's pretty clear, like, is your district following the law? Well, the IDEA law is pretty clear. You're either following it or you're not, if they have a curriculum um, that is, you know, um, not using science of reading, who is, that is using balanced literacy, that, then they're not following the law. If, uh, it, you know, And I mean, that's just a very concrete example. But um, if you would mind chatting a little bit about or sharing a little bit about steps four, five, six, and seven, but I also want to put it out there if you want to say anything about steps one through three, I don't want to s- have you skip over them just because I yeah, feel like they're kind of introductory,
2: but you would have no idea. How many parents have not heard of dyslexia? or really don't know anything about it. It took a lot of energy for me to try to. Fi- People wouldn't say it. Um, there are tons. Yeah, of-
0: the only thing I feel like parents know about it is they'll say, "Oh, that's when my that's when kids reverse B and D, right? Or write right their really numbers
1: backwards. That or is something.
0: a hallmark. That is that is it. And yeah, you, I mean, no blame to parents. That's it's, right. <laughs> I mean, teachers too, right? Like we know teachers don't even have the training. And and Melissa and I will speak to that. We don't, you know, we didn't have that in our training. So everything we learned, again, is self-learned.
2: And we're all kind of fumbling around. But just think of, and this was especially frustrating. So as a parent, you're trying to figure out what in the heck is going on here because this is not working. And we actually had misinformed people because none of us have learned about it. The, the shame and the blame was on the kid and the parent. So you didn't read to them enough when they were born. Now we read in utero to our children, and then every night from then on. So you can't read anymore to a kid. We were told that you should have That's fed right. your kid more vegetables. No, absolutely, hundred percent. We were told that you know you should medicate. <laughs> Just a little
1: shocked you should, by that. <laughs>
2: Well, I'm getting along and I love everyone. None of us knew, but yes, we had a teacher say that. Because think about it. If you have been taught that what you're doing is going to help kids to read and they're not doing it and you're doing everything you've been taught, then it's not me. You guys didn't read to them enough. And you know what? You didn't you didn't feed them vegetables and you need to medicate, medicate them essentially for ADHD because they're wiggly or they're trying to avoid. It, it, it just makes all these weird mental gyrations trying to figure out if you don't know what really is wrong. And that is so horrific because the children are already babies, horrified because the first thing that you are tested on and looked at is reading, and so and, and then parents are trying to figure it out. So to be told it's your fault somehow is just adding insult to injury. So anyway, what what? So we figured we figured this information out on our own. <clears throat> we're in a very whole language, or were in a very whole language district, and so we had to find this information on our own. But like Sally Shaywitz's book, Overcoming Dyslexia, I thought was amazing just as a good primer. But a lot a lot of parents too, and this is I, I find this all the time, there are tons of parents who are working, 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 working very, very hard in their own tiny little silo, alone, doing these amazing things. The thing that I think was so powerful in what we did was we we harnessed all of that energy together. And by coming together, You don't just get, you know, 20 people individual. You get, uh, it's exponential better performance with all of these people helping and working together.
0: I imagine too, it's like you're harnessing the energy and the expertise and then really able to leverage where everybody's strengths are and and be more efficient about the process. And
2: if you think about it too, change management, you know, so- We always told parents, take care of their own kid first, you know, get them, get them what you need to get them, get them some tutoring, get them evaluated, you know, help, help your kids. So your family is okay, but then you can contribute. Um, And it's important to do that because then if I do have an issue at my house, then I can take a couple days off. And you can carry that baton and keep moving and going to a school board meeting or, you know, it's not just stopped when one parent or one family is temporarily incapacitated. Um, another really important thing. So so this parent group, you come together and there are lots of different ways to do that. I was like a room mom. So I would go in and I would volunteer and figure out what other kids were getting, you know, like reading help or um and we would talk to those parents and kind of recruit them in, but they have to understand too. If if the professionals are telling you that your kid they'll catch up, um, you know most kids don't learn to read till like second or third grade, uh, or you know you should have read to them, or you don't really know. So you have to help parents understand that. Oh yeah, kids can't. You should be starting like in kindergarten if you can find them right away. It's so much easier, you know, four times easier or four times longer to remediate a fourth grader than a kindergartner, um, and so and it takes so much longer. And you could, you cannot imagine how powerful the idea is to help parents understand that child find under IDEA means that your school district, your public school district has an affirmative obligation to find, to search out, and to look for your dyslexic child as a, it's like a specific learning disability in the area of reading. So if you are having to fight to get a neuropsych and pay for your own neuropsych evaluation, which can be thousands of dollars to get your kid identified, they're breaking federal law. And that, because most parents go in, there's all this shame. Like I said, they're telling you, you should have done all this stuff. You should be reading to them more. You're thinking, ah, God, now I have to go in and I have to ask for, you know, intervention. And, you know, it takes so much time and money. Oh, no, you can go in and and without hat in hand, like begging and say, listen, boys, uh, you were supposed to find my kid. I went to a neuropsych. I paid out of my own pocket. Sometimes you can get reimbursed through an IEE, but this is something that you should have done, and we need your help now getting a free and appropriate public education because this is the law. And, and just those two facts, the facts that kids can read, and number two, your district should be finding and helping, Those are those are two very powerful things for a parent to understand. Yeah,
1: Brett, can I ask you a question? You might not know the answer to this, so yeah, feel free to say you not but I was just reflecting when you were speaking about that, that I never in my, uh, however many years I was in the classroom, 12-ish years in the classroom, I never actually saw an IEP where it said a student had dyslexia, and I, I'm wondering, like, is that same. because they, same, same. they weren't identified as dyslexic, or, or is that actually that, like, on IEPs, it just wouldn't no, say there are that
2: IEPs specifically in our district now say dyslexia. They used to say dyslexic-like symptoms, but the Office of Special oh, yeah, never the Office seen that. <laughs> of Special Education Programs, which is the U.S. Department of Education, came out with a um, memorandum that was sent out to everyone. And I'll see if I can get you a copy if you want. And it said. Use the term, people. Use the term.
1: Yeah. I wonder if it's changed since I've maybe, maybe it has changed since I've well, been in the it. Well, it may
2: <laughs> take parents and educators who understand, you know, more recent science to say there's a lot of misinformation about it. So, so you form that parent group. Um, and then the step five is really is really critical because what, what we recommend and we coach parents to do is to approach your district. So early on, you're going to talk to your teacher. That's the, that's the one person who's really intimately involved with your kid trying to teach them how to read. And you want to understand what, what are the issues? What's going on? Help me understand what we're doing here. Once you do that in the earlier steps, now though you start, you want to try to look at the system-wide level. So you want to talk to the principal of the school. You want to talk to the uh, superintendent, assistant superintendent, um, student services director, and ultimately you may talk to the school board. Either present at a school board meeting as a group. You know, everybody stand up at once. And address them so that they understand this is a big issue. But you can also meet individually in smaller groups to help them understand the, the moral and the uh, legal issues. Um, but we came at it very much from a, you know, here we are, parents, your constituents, your customers. And we've found all this information that's really very important. And we want, we, we are learning, we're just now learning about this. So we want you to come on this learning journey with us. And initially they kind of bought into that and I was like, oh, and I, you know, just a personal story. I will never forget. I called my, my principal and I said, oh, I'm afraid there's all this scientific information i'm getting there's also like a federal law that says we got to find these kids i need to come in and the principal said oh come in right after school bring your husband we will talk this over i got a call like about an hour later and said oh i'm sorry I, i forgot i had a meeting why don't we come in on monday and we can all talk about it well when we got there on monday there were attorneys and, you know, it was just like, all of a sudden it was like, we just ratcheted this up because unfortunately he had talked to the special ed director who was completely whole language and misinformed. And so she, she did him a huge disservice. And that is the way ultimately that our district responded to us because Because of our proximity to whole language, Fontes and Pinnell Reading Recovery, really, really, like I can ride my bike there right now. I could walk there. I was going to say you're like, no, yeah, like two miles (laughs) down the road. Yeah, (laughs) it had a really, really hard hold, and this was a decade ago. And so, what they did was they we tried, you know, we went. At all levels, we asked, we begged for them to help and to listen and to work with us. And they just uh, lawyered up. And so we did too. And we filed the largest systemic group complaint in the state's history. The district was found in violation on all three allegations. And it set us up to have a letter of findings that we could then make sure we're being implemented and really allow us to create the district that we had always wanted. And, but I am aware of, and and really nobody else in our area, like a bunch of other school districts, parent groups have been able to affect change and not another one had to file a systemic group complaint. So I think that is unusual. But as the first one, we had to fight really hard. But then there are these like ripples that go out around. Um, in, in other school districts say, whoa, this is real. I got to look into this. So when the parent group comes to them, they say, okay, we'll, we'll go on this learning journey with you. Or, um, you know, so, so it actually, it doesn't always have to be that way. And it's unfortunate. But we can honestly say that we were forced to do that. So then once you once this all comes back, everybody realizes, wow, this district wasn't following federal law. We had retirements. We had people move to different positions. We we, we had the opportunity to hire some new people. And then we took that original mission statement and we were able to, to put into place each one of those um, objectives and... You know, we still meet with our district in a very collaborative. You know, shoulder to shoulder. Um, we went in and we talked to our new superintendent. We said, you know, the reason we got in trouble here was that we our communication broke down. So what we are proposing is that we meet on a quarterly basis as the dyslexia task force. And every quarter we meet to make sure that this district is following the science. And all our kids are learning to read. And it's not perfect. This is something also, too, that I think people in with a scientific or a business background understand. There's It's continuous improvement. You never are done um, improving the process. It, it's an on, Change is the only constant. And somehow there's this thing in education that I keep running into where, you mean we're not supposed to do this anymore? This was supposed to be the one thing we were supposed to do. Well, what I'm finding is that to have that kind of growth mindset where you are always getting better at your craft, always learning more, and there's more research, you're incorporating that, that is an interesting thing to try to bring to the education community. But I think it will really have benefits. Um, I think it's important.
0: Brett, can you say a little bit more about that? I I know Melissa's nodding her head because she worked on that. I know uh, a whole lot. Um, And she shared a whole lot about it with me. And I love learning about it. Um, But I'm not sure that it's something that educators listening are too familiar with. Um, Because as you said, I don't think it's something that is prevalent in the education space.
2: It's very interesting. There's a lot. The other, well, and this is, um, okay, so. Just the idea. So continuous improvement. So my background, um, industrial engineering, but it was uh, like a specialization in manufacturing, um, production, and inventory control. And so you're looking at a manufacturing system, and there are always new, better ways to do things. So you're always tweaking the system to make it more efficient or to reduce costs, and it's not surprising, and there's no shame, there's no issue with getting better and better and better. And again, what I find with administrations and school districts is somehow you're, you're supposed to get trained up in this one thing and then once that is done, that's what you're going to do forever. And it's, it is all of a sudden if you have to move to a new system, the old one was bad, and you're angry because you're having to move when, in fact, you're just following the research. You're, you know, think about if we were following the research. The latest, um, Louisa Moats wrote the new – Teaching reading really is rocket science um, and the American Federation of Teachers. You know, they've embraced the idea that 95% of children in this country could learn to read. You know, 5% definitely will have to have extra serious remediation. But 95% of kids could read if we got in just really good reading instruction. Could you imagine? I mean, and right now we have maybe a third of kids in the country who are proficient readers. It's criminal. It's unbelievable. Another interesting thing, this was something that, again, from like a business perspective. So I have a very good friend who is from Colombia, and her dad worked for the IMF. It's a very brilliant, well-educated family. And he said to her, I have never seen a problem with a solution that affects so many people that we're doing nothing about.
0: And the solution is there.
1: There's an actual science based solution. Well, and what I think is so interesting too, when you're talking about continuous improvement, I was thinking of also we need to like see what's working for our students, right? If we continue to do these things and get the same results, like something has to change. (laughs) Um, But I see so many, um, I mean, so many people who often. Are still like stuck to what they're doing, right? Like I no, I want to continue what I'm doing, even with those results, and it it hurts my brain a little bit. <laughs> like why,
2: why? Well, and then <laughs> you go into. I've had some really interesting conversations with Kareem Weaver, who is uh, he's an educator, and now he's an advocate in Oakland, California, and we've had a lot of conversations about this because it's fascinating to me too, but. You know, expectations can play into this. And, but how can we be okay with only a third of the kids in the country being proficient readers? To me, that's another huge issue. And this is part of why we made the documentary. And part of why, so our online course is actually going to be eight steps and I'm totally excited about it because the eighth step is like the future is activism and how you can broaden your impact even more. Um, and I, a big part of this is I don't think people know that only a third of the kids in this country, per the NAEP scores, are proficient readers. You can drop that bomb at a cocktail party. And people just are dumbfounded. Their jaw drops. They cannot believe what you're saying.
0: Well, not only will they not believe it, but I be- uh, from what I, my experience in sharing that fact, well, that's not our community. That's like Baltimore City, or that's not our community, right? Like it's, and wherever you are, it's not where you are. And then they name an urban environment. And that is my experience with that. Um, just to be very frank, to be very frank, it's someone else's fault. (laughs) Those parents
1: didn't read to their kids. (laughs)
0: Our school, our schools are wonderful in our area and it's, 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 um, like it's not, they're not ready to accept it. But if you
2: dig a little deeper, here's an interesting question to ask. Um, how many people are getting their kids tutors outside of class? So so what happens is if you have resources, if you have time and money, then you're going to get your kid a tutor. You're going to take them to the tutoring place after school. You know, if you are someone with fewer resources, your dyslexic kid may never learn to read. And are we as a society willing to accept that? And I think even if you talk to... Somebody who's kind of cynical like that and doesn't have a, like, we should take care of our fellow man and all of this. Think about the money that costs. Have you ever seen, there's a study that they did in California. I believe Bain Capital um, was a part of it. So it's like legit to the, it's a very well done study. And the state of California is losing I think it's like a trillion dollars. I can get you a link to this Um, over many years, but it's in, you know, lower job, um, not just uh, unemployment, but, you know, not being able to have the job that you could, if you were educated, homelessness, addiction, incarceration. It's, I mean, Isn't it like three quarters of people in our prison systems are functionally illiterate and 48% are dyslexic? So what we are doing, which freaks me out again, we're waiting for many of these people to hit prison before we find them as dyslexic and help them learn to read. doesn't make sense to do this. They have to hit rock bottom
0: they have to hit rock bottom in order for us to help. One of the things too, Brett, that you're making me think about is, you know, for example, that follow-up question that you asked, like how many kids are receiving tutoring or maybe additional services? One of the things that I always ask and think about is what else is going on for, for kids, do you think? Like what else is going on for your child, right? If a parent is... Is mentioning difficulties. And a lot of times, like you said, it presents as ADHD, it presents as anxiety, it presents as lots of other things. But when you actually get to the bottom and continue to ask questions, it really is reading ability. And I'm, I just, I can't underscore that enough that there, this presents as a million different things, right? There's a lot. Kids might have a 504 for anxiety, but even if they're medicated for anxiety, it's – if we taught them how – like David Chalk on our podcast shared this brilliantly, right, as a 60-year-old man who learned how to read. If he wouldn't have had the anxiety that he had throughout his life if he had learned how to read sooner. And we're, in, we're doing that to children. That's, that's trauma. That's – they're going to, oh have to like God,
2: take yeah. with them. Oh, uh, my God, yeah. I met Mike – I went to the Plain Talk conference, and I met um, David Chalk – And his story is unbelievable, the trauma that he endured. Um, But I would agree with you 100%. If you do a root cause analysis of so many issues that are going on, it comes back to reading. Um, Another, I mean, the trauma that... A lot of people talk, and I heard uh, one of our state school board members talking about this, and she was talking about the trauma that our kids come to with school, as if the school district is like being victimized by all the trauma this kid is seeing at home. And I tried to help her understand that, unfortunately, really, unfortunately, the trauma these kids may be experiencing Much of it is coming from the school, not teaching them to read. There's all this avoidance there, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, um, self-harm. It is extraordinary. Uh, I told you, I think in our pre-podcast introduction, another thing I talked to Kareem Weaver about, there's, University of California, San Francisco has a dyslexia center, and before they wear, work with a student who is identified kind of later, they do six months of PTSD work with this child because their sense of self is so damaged before they even start any remediation. We are creating many of these issues with the way we teach reading.
1: I was gonna say we um I think I think Lori posted a comment on social media about which exactly what we just talked about and and someone came back and said you know well there you know no there's trauma that comes from home and yes I think that should be you know addressed that yes there are some people who are experiencing things in their home life that they are bringing to school that causes that trauma too but I think what we're saying here is also very real that some of that trauma happens <laughs> at school and we have we've heard from several you know, people who have had dyslexia or parents of children with dyslexia who say just that, right? Like they, their, their trauma, their, everything that they're showing and their anxiety, everything that's coming up is because (laughs) they can't read, right? And it's coming from that. And once that was, once they're able to change that, they can see a marked difference in their student, their children. Well,
2: I have a little anecdotal. So, so I have a friend who is a teacher And initially, she thought I was, you know, she kind of wanted me to just be quiet. I could tell. And I knew, though, as a mama bear, that this is way more important than any, you know, little relationship. Um, I could rebuild that later. But we were standing outside and the dogs were playing and just sort of talking. And I thought, you know, I think she's a teacher that. Would be having these kids, because in our district we put in some good scientific based reading instruction. We put in Wilson Foundations um, kindergarten first, second, and third. And I realized that she, about this time, she was going to be getting some kids who had had really good reading instruction from kindergarten on. And so I said, what, what about this class? You know, could you tell me, is there any difference between your class? This year and the class that you had last year. And she said, no, You can't, how, how can I compare? My kids last year, they were, you know, they were like troublemakers. They were, you know, but my kids this year, it's just a totally different class. They are a class of readers. I can't compare them. And I thought, oh, How can you not compare? That's, that's the whole point. You just <laughs> proved my point. I think that as this ripples through the district, We will have fewer, you know, we won't just have better test scores, but we'll have fewer kids who are in trouble, who are depressed, who are, it's healing. Kids want to learn to read.
0: Right. Can I ask, sorry, can I ask a question? Yeah. They, so I have shared this story before on the podcast. I'll be very brief, but essentially my daughter Presley is in a school district that uses whole language and balanced literacy approaches in her, she kept coming home and saying like, these couple kids are like acting out a lot in class and whatever. And I said, you know, do me a favor, see if you, you think they could read, like, just do a little, little walk, you know, just notice, tell me what you notice. And she came home and she's like, I think you're, I I, I think you might be onto something. You know, I, I don't think that they can read. And here's why. And she articulated it very well, like right, like they had um, when they read aloud, it was just fluent. They, um, their teacher was giving them leveled books that were much, uh, which, like, if I'm cringing as I'm saying this, um, much lower level yeah, than quote everyone than, than others or everyone else. Um, she said that they got pulled out for a quote group, right? And I'm like, okay, an intervention group. So here's my question, Brett. To bring this kind of full circle here. So say I'm a parent and I advocate and and I get that 504 or I get the intervention and my child is now working with a reading specialist, but the district does not use reading science based interventions. And I, I think it's really hard, again, for parents to know. Like, how do parents know what are, you know, reading science interventions? Um, so so my child is being pulled out, they're getting services, and me as a parent, I feel confident, right? I'm trying to feel confident because my, my child's getting services, so I'm believing that he or she is getting what they need. But when they're being pulled out, they are not, you know, for example, maybe it's, they're, they're using LLI or something that is not aligned to science of reading. What happens then? Like, to me as a parent, I'm thinking I'm getting them on the right track. But it's almost like with every bit of knowledge. <laughs> now I have more knowledge, and it's 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 both helpful and and dangerous because now I, I'm navigating a system that is so broken that I've quote gotten my child what they need, yet they're not getting what they need. Yeah, Am because sense? Uh,
2: one of the things that we had was you know they were supposed to be getting. Um, I think it was Wilson and it turned, or maybe it was OG, but it turned out that it was like a weekend OG class (laughs) without a practicum. And so um, the, the problem is too, they have to show meaningful progress. And so if your kid is getting something and they are not making meaningful progress, then that is an issue. They have to, by federal law, change either duration, frequency, um, what are the others, uh, um, or to a different program. So your kid has to be showing progress. But that's also where the strength of a parent group comes in. And we actually encourage parents individually or as a group to hire an educational advocate. We had a woman who I love and I am brokenhearted to say she passed away. But she she was a former educator, former special education ed, uh, educator. She knew all about the science. She knew all about the law. And so she could help us to determine um, whether what they were doing was scientifically based and then what the law should be. And we eventually did have to get an attorney. Again, this is another place where a group is very beneficial because instead of paying, you know, a thousand dollars by yourself, you know, you're paying 50 bucks and everybody else around the table is paying 50 bucks. Um, But they can advise you. And again, unfortunately, what we found was that until this is just us and this is 10 years ago in a very whole language district until we hired an attorney. They did not listen. But again, doing that as a group helps you to make a systemic change across the district for your kid and all the kids in the district. But your child has to be making progress. And if they're not making progress, then they're not following federal law. And they must because, you know, um, an interesting quote That I use to kind of rally our troops every once in a while. Michelle Ree, who used to was the former chancellor of the DC schools years ago, she said that um, you know there are a lot of different there are a lot of different ideas about what we can achieve in our educational system. And but just like in the civil rights movement, you know you you start and you work together and you collaborate, and but there comes a time when you need to fight and. If you come to that point in your district, know that you stand in the truth and you are fighting for your children. And there's nothing more important to fight for. And so it gives you strength in a way. You know, none of us, this is not what we chose. But, you know, looking back on it, very, very proud. What we try to do is get that that roadmap out. The online course is actually the roadmap, but in visual video format. It's all these interviews with all these amazing people. And then we will work with you individually to kind of coach up your group. So if you, again, I would encourage you to to get a group together because you're much better fighting as a group but then I'm happy to, to work with you to strategize and uh, on an individual basis.
1: I just see you and Lori working together to <laughs> make some changes in her
2: district. It's a powerful, it'd be powerful, I'm
0: like, I'm thinking already like across the whole state of Maryland, like let's just go right? big here. You know, there's, I mean, I talk to parents all the time. I live like five minutes over one County's line. So, uh, you know, there are friends who in quote the other County, but it's like a five minute drive. And, All the time this comes up, it's, you know, my, my child has anxiety. I'm thinking about keeping my child back and repeating this grade. What do you think? I'm like, I think they're going to get the same kind of yucky stuff they've been getting. It's a knock to their, it's a knock to their confidence. I wouldn't keep them back. I, we, you just, we have to get them what they need now. And there, but those questions are permeating our society and nobody's talking about them at scale. And that's where I think we need to bring it, bring it up.
2: <laughs> I agree a hundred percent that that's, um, to see what you can do at a district level and then to see what you can do at a statewide level, we are actually trying to prepare and part of this new course and website that we're going to try to open up in like may have a big, you know, zoom party is a, a national database for dyslexia parent groups so that we can begin utilizing this at a at a national scale.
1: Oh my gosh. You have to let us know when that I'll happens.
2: I'll invite you. It'll be in May, hopefully.
1: <laughs> yes, please. <laughs>
2: we'll Thank sh- you. We'll share
1: it with everybody, too. Well, well Brett, Brett, we,
0: we are. Oh, sorry, Melissa, before you do, we have a oh, newsletter, yeah, yeah. Brett. So we have a Tuesday newsletter that goes out. So, if there's anything ongoing that, as you're doing, you want us to elevate, please share it with us. We will find a way to work it into one of our newsletters and and share it with the greater good. We have lots Absolutely. of friends, keep, literacy best friends, we keep in touch with who send us stuff regularly, and we put out there with you know with our current content, our current episode, connected content. But we will add add anything that is helpful to the literacy. Well,
2: community. we we are planning. And I can I can tell you tentatively, but I worry about giving exact dates. But kind of the first, I think we're thinking around the 10th or so um, to do this online course. And we're thinking maybe David Chalk, Kareem Weaver. Um, I had Louisa Moats on one of ours. And she's just, it's like she's so outstanding. Emily Hamford was in one of our, I mean, we've interviewed her. And so I'm trying to get the right mix for this, but I would love your help in getting, getting it out, it to, out people. to people. We're yeah. there.
0: We're here Good. for you. Good,
2: Well, thank you what so it gives much. To you.
0: I mean, it's just so, everybody's voice is so special in
2: different ways. That's so cool. Well, and how thumpering you guys. I'm jealous. Like you guys are meeting amazing. And and this is one of the other things that I love about this work. It's almost selfish. Meeting such outstanding people, because every single person who gives a crud about kids learning to read is a special person. And I admire these people very, very much.
1: I couldn't agree with that more. more. I feel the same way. Yeah. Well, you've given a million pieces of advice, but since we're at the end of our episode, we always ask our guests to leave with one last piece of advice. So if you have something else to share with everyone, Brett, we would love to end with just one last last thing.
2: I think the overarching theme of our work is that coming together, you know, as a parent group, coming together and making this change, you really can bring the science of reading to your district so that every child can learn to read. And it is possible. I I have been in conversations with people that, you know, it's kind of cynical. Why try? You know, you can't change the system. And we're a living, breathing example that it can be done. And so, we hope that that inspires people to make changes for for their district because you know and you're doing it for kids whose names you will never know but you're changing the trajectory of so many lives absolutely That's-
1: It's just so powerful. Thank you so much, Brett. We (laughs) really appreciate you sharing your story. And
2: well, thank you. It's
1: really, really great advice. I love that it's
0: so practical and actionable and in my hands, like I'm going, you know, you can sit down and read it and that's what, or watch it Mm -hmm. or it's very accessible and that's our favorite kind of content. So thank you.
2: When we tried to all get together, we got like the team together who is involved. And we all sat around one afternoon and, you know, we made, you know, like this is step one and here are all the things. Here's step two. Here are all the things. And, you know, it's not perfect because we're going to continuously improve, but we'll come out with our next version, you know, which is this online video. It's an online course to try to get to more people, help more people see it and understand you know, we'll do another version as the materials change and as science moves ahead. But we are trying to get out to the most number of people this information to help them bring the science of reading, which we think is one of the most important things going on in this c- the whole country right now.
0: Well, thank you. We can't wait for for your course, and we can't wait. Oh, I can't wait to see the, to the course and join. And, you know, I can't wait to hear more from you
2: and update after the course. We'd love to hear how it's going. Well, I would love to keep in touch. You guys are powerful.
0: Thanks for listening, literacy lovers. We release a new podcast episode every Friday and share more resources in a newsletter on Tuesday. Sign up for our newsletter at literacypodcast.com. Each week, you'll receive important information, resources, and connected content.
1: We're excited to create a space for community discussion about our podcast. We want to connect with our listeners and support you in answering your questions. But we also realize there are a lot of other educators out there who have great advice and experience, too. Let's keep learning together in our Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast Facebook group. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter.
0: If the content in this episode helped you, share with a fellow educator and teacher friend. Our Literacy Lover community welcomes educators at every stage of their learning journey. We're so glad you're here to learn with us.